Rightio, Rockstars, here we go. Last podcast for the muscular system prior to your assessment. So time for you to do a bit of revision and studying up. And if you're listening to this, that probably means that you are keen on helping yourself out and looking to maximise your performance. So good on you for having a go. We're going to run through in this podcast a bit of a discussion on lesson three of the OneNote and some of the information within that. Now, I did start that in the last podcast talking about types of muscular contraction, looking at isotonic contractions where they change length, that can be further split into concentric or eccentric, and then also isometric changes. Sorry isometric contractions where the muscle length doesn't change. Helps if I don't write, try and read two sentences at the one time. Anyway, um, so there's some information on those back in the other one. There's also a YouTube video link for a bit of a video on types of contraction within that one. We're looking particularly in this lesson at the way our muscles are set up. So how they built how do they actually then function and create function? Because it's one thing to know all the names of them. It's one thing to know that we have different contraction types. But how does that actually happen? You know, what goes on to actually bring about a change in the muscle length? Or how do we decide on movement? How does that happen? What we're looking at is the nervous control of our muscular system. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean Ooh, we're nervous about something. We're simply talking about the role of the central nervous system or the CNS in providing signals or impulses, electrical impulses through the nervous system to make a muscle move. Obviously, there's going to be some decision making and some thinking going on and some brain function. Sometimes you're not actually thinking about it, it'll happen autonomously, which is pretty cool. Um, but we're looking at nerve actually, or nerve mes- nerve, nervous messages bringing about muscular contractions. Labelling the parts of the muscle, knowing which bit's the bone, which bit's the tendon, which bit's the muscle fibre, so the individual strand, whichever is the smallest one, is going to be the muscle fibre. Being able to identify where are their blood vessels within the muscle, do they sit in the muscle fibres or do they sit just outside of the muscle fibres or around the um, the bundles of muscle fibres or the, the fascicles. Knowing then, well, what do we actually call the muscle? Do we call the fibre the muscle? Do we call the fascicle the muscle? Or do we call the whole muscle belly the actual muscle itself? So there's a few interesting terms, and it really helps if you're looking at a diagram when you hear that, or otherwise it's just a whole lot of words getting thrown at you. What's something cool that you can, uh, that you can look at if you are looking at a muscle architecture diagram is that it'll tell you that the layer around the outside of the muscle is called the epimysium and if you look at that as it approaches the tendon what actually happens is the epimysium starts getting thicker and thicker and thicker and a bit stiffer and then it sort of all bunches together from around the muscle and that then becomes the tendon which attaches to the bone which is pretty cool I think that it goes from being a thick tendon and then it all of a sudden really thins out goes around the outside of the bone uh, sorry outside of the muscle and then connects to the bone again at the other end of the muscle, which is pretty cool in terms of just how things attach together. Anyway, so let's talk about how that message gets down to the muscle to make it move. All right, and within the PowerPoint, there's some information on this. Um, There are some little animations and some other videos in there. But basically, a message is going to get sent from the brain and travel through the central nervous system 
along what's called a motor unit. Now a motor unit is the motor neuron or nerve fibre if you like and the muscle fibres that it is connected to. Okay, so a motor unit is a motor neuron and the muscle fibres that it controls. Some motor neurons might have a limited number of muscle fibres. Some other motor neurons might have lots of muscle fibres. And that's important to know when we're going to start talking about how do we change the force that we're contracting at, how do we alter the force of our movement. What happens is that when that impulse or that message travels along the motor neuron and gets to the muscle fibre, it changes from an electrical message to a chemical message, and it's the muscle fibre then just goes, OK, I've been told to contract, I contract at 100%. And that muscle fibre, not the whole muscle, that muscle fibre that has been told to contract will contract at 100%. It'll go, done, contracted. OK? When we start talking about that concept, that's called the all or none principle. Okay, so it either fully contracts, all of it contracts, or none of it contracts. All or none. Okay, so it contracts at 100% when a motor unit is recruited, when it sends a message to a muscle fiber, it contracts at 100%. I've repeated that about six times now, hopefully, you get the message. Now, how do we change the force that we provide? Well, if I'm picking up something light, you know, if I'm picking up a biro or my mobile phone or a pen or my car keys or something small, or if I'm throwing a dart, okay, then if I pick up that dart and I aim it at the dartboard and I'm ready to throw it, then that's a pretty fine motor skill. So I'm not really recruiting a whole lot of muscle fibres for that. All right? It's still the same muscle that I'm recruiting, but I'm not going to use all of the muscle. I'm only using some of the fibres within there. So I'm only recruiting some motor units to produce enough force to do that movement. Now, if I then put down my dart and decided I'm going to do a few bicep curls while I'm here, because, you know, Jimmy's life, what I'm going to do is recruit a few more muscle, fi muscle fibres for that. Okay, so I'm going to need more. So I'm going to recruit more motor units, more muscle fibres, they're all still going to contract at 100%, but because I've got more of them and more of the muscles contracting, I can produce more force. It kind of makes sense when you think about it. It's a pretty simple concept. It's just about getting the wording and the descriptors right about that when you're talking about it. Okay? So just think about that one for a little while. All right? So there's some questions for you within the OneNote about you know the basic steps involved in creating movement, about labelling some of that muscle architecture, what makes up a motor unit, and how do we change force. It's going to be really key for you to be able to describe that and to, to talk about that. The last sort of key section for you to talk about and think about is going to be muscle fibre types. Now, we're all born with a predetermined makeup. You can thank your parents and the gene pool that you come from. We come with a predetermined makeup of either fast twitch muscle fibres or slow twitch muscle fibres. Now, although the name says fast and slow, the reality is that a slow twitch fibre can still move pretty quickly. If you've ever seen, you know, Olympic level marathon runners, elite cyclists, again, sorry, my class, um, anyone who's doing an endurance sport, they're not going slow, right? They're not hanging around for a haircut, but the muscle fibres that they are using are described as slow twitch. 
okay? The other type, the fast twitch fiber, that's your power athlete. So the really big, bulky size muscles, they're gonna be fast twitch, okay? And let's talk about a few different things that kind of help us remind us of that. If we were to get sort of microscopic and start looking at these, then a fast twitch fiber would probably appear a little bit more white, okay? So a bit less color in it, whereas a slow twitch fiber would be a little bit red. Now this reasoning behind that is not to color code anything, but it's actually about the amount of blood flow and the amount of uh, capillaries and blood vessels and supply of oxygen to those muscle fibers. A fast twitch fiber actually relies upon the energy stored within it, okay, so it actually keeps a bit of a fuel reserve, a bit of an energy reserve within the muscle. A slow twitch fiber operates aerobically and needs oxygen. It needs oxygen in and out of the, and sorry, oxygen in and waste products out of the muscle really quickly and really efficiently. So that the slow twitch fiber will have more blood vessels, better oxygen supply, it can keep on running for ages, okay? So that's not gonna fatigue quickly. Now, if you're looking at the little table in lesson three, you'll realize that I've just jumped all around the place in that to talk about it. But it kind of explains why they are the color that they are. Slow twitch fiber is red, it has lots of blood supply, lots of oxygen, it won't slow down. Why does it need all that? It's for an endurance athlete. It's for something that's repetitive. If you think about running, bike riding, swimming, walking, activities that are just going to repeat over and over and over and over and over again. You don't necessarily need massive muscles to do that, you just need it to provide enough force to be able to make that job happen. Your fast twitch fiber is your large nerve supply, we need to recruit heaps of motor units, we're going to do something big here. We're looking at a power athlete, we're looking at a sprinter, we're looking at a thrower, we're looking at a jumper, we're looking at a lifter. We're looking at athletes that just really need to either explode out of the blocks or throw something really hard, provide a lot of force for whatever it is that they're doing. They're going to have limited oxygen supply, but that's okay because they store the energy within their muscle. Downside of that is you can only source, store so much energy within the muscle. Your supply is going to run out quicker, which means that they're going to fatigue faster. That's why you never see a massive bulky athlete win a marathon or a Tour de France or a swimming race. They're always pretty lean athletes that win those things. They're the slow twitch fibers. A slow twitch muscle is going to have a much smaller cross-sectional area than a fast twitch fiber uh, muscle. Okay, it's just the way it's going to be. Now, we all walk around, we all operate normally, we've all got a different percentage of these. So one athlete might have a higher percentage of fast twitch, one athlete might have a higher percentage of slow twitch. That's okay, everyone's still gonna have both. All right, they're still gonna have both, it's just your percentage of dominance, I guess, that, uh, that influences things. If you continue on studying uh, health and PE, or sorry, PE in particular, through year 10 advanced or into year 11 and 12, you're gonna start talking about um, fast twitch type A, fast twitch type B, slow twitch fibers, you're going to start talking about energy systems and some really cool sports science stuff that really gives you an awesome understanding of this. But if you can go into those units already knowing that there's these two different ones and a little bit of the details about them, you'll actually find it much, much easier to pick up.
hey, it's about time for you to start getting ready for this test, so what are you going to do to do that? You've got homework sheet three, you can work on that. There's some great revision questions in there. If you want things checked over, obviously email it back to your teacher or email um, questions to your teacher if you've got uh, any concerns with any of the questions in there. Having a flick through, there's nothing in there that you shouldn't already be able to do based upon the information that you can find in your OneNote or on the PowerPoint online. There's also, and I think which is really handy for everyone, a revision uh, tab. Okay, so there's a few, well, there's two tabs actually. There's one that says revise in your OneNote, and it's got a whole bunch of uh, practical tests, quizzes, activities in there for you to practice with. But then there's also another one that has a whole OneNote page dedicated to revision questions. What can I answer? If you can answer all of those things, you're going to be doing pretty well. Okay, it looks at movements, it looks at muscle labelling, it looks at um, whether there are um, you know, different stats within the, the muscular system, what are the functions of it, what are the actual muscles, let's talk about force, um, you know, force application, let's talk about changes in muscle length, let's talk about contraction types, all that sort of stuff's in there, which is pretty cool. Um, you can revise all of that. In addition, the answers are also in your OneNote, so you can correct it yourself. If you've then got further questions, get in touch with your teacher, send them an email, have a chat. Hey guys, I hope you've enjoyed listening to these podcasts, and I hope they've been helpful for you. Um, look, you don't have to, but I appreciate it when people give us a thumbs up or a thank you for that sort of thing. It means that I know that people are actually tuning in and using them for their benefit. So uh, if you have found it useful and it's something that you think would be good to continue through future PE units, then by all means let me know and uh, we can see what we can do. Hope your assessment goes well, people. Good luck. Catch you later.